Welcome, and thank you so much for tuning in to Rock Church's message. We are so excited that you are here today. We hope that you leave today encouraged and know that you are loved by God. We've been working our way through a series called Hard Love, talking about the characteristics of love, if you've been here with us. I had the opportunity this week to really experience what love is in various forms. Love in the form of someone who leaves because of death. And so I had a funeral, sudden funeral of uh, Steve Swindle's mother passed. And I was there just moments after she passed with the family. And to experience the love that they had for their mom, she, she gave birth to nine children. And, and yet even in the funeral, I saw that there are things that should be forgotten, forgiven, when you really love someone. And to prepare for a wedding the very same day. So I was getting the wedding and the funeral kind of mixed up. As Roy Scritter uh, was married last night, I can't forget Shelby, his wife, because she's a part of the marriage. So I had a privilege to put those two together in marriage. So I've had a plenty of opportunity this week to think about what love is and how it manifests itself. This one is a killer today, this characteristic of love, in that it says this in verse 6 of chapter 13, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. So before I could make my own notes, I, I wanted to listen to other people talk about this particular aspect of love. And I think I can probably re relate to this better than any of the other aspects that are talked about. Zach, you're changing something. Did you just take the monitor off? I liked it. It was right here. Anyway, I don't want to lose you guys. So, um, love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Now, if you just looked at that simply enough and just read it for what it was, you would come up with a lot of different ideas. And as I listened to various preachers, I thought, mm, I don't think that's where the, that, where the author intended it to go. Not sure about that one either. And then I, I came across someone who actually thought like I did about this. Real love never rejoices when something bad happens to someone. That's not love. Oh, you could say, I love you. Love you. Oh, well, you know, I, I see this all the time. I see people say, that's my best friend. And a year later, they have a new one. And the next year, they have another new one. And another new one, because most of us understand zero about love and friendship and relationships that should last into eternity. We didn't learn it in our houses. We didn't understand that love never delights in seeing someone else really mess up with their life. I find this to be true in politics, in Life in marriage, in church, in all relationships, there is this element of rejoicing when someone else has something bad happen to them. It's like we gloat over this. Well, he got what he deserved. 
Yeah, she, she got what she deserved. Or I'm never going to speak to her again because she just was so mean to me. Or I, I can't forgive because she took part of the inheritance that she should not have taken. And I stand back and I think to myself, if it were not for the grace of God, listen to me, people. If it weren't for the grace of God, we'd be all zapped. We'd all be gone. We don't deserve his constant day-by-day fresh mercy that we get. And I study on the kitchen counter in the mornings, have my time with God, and my wife sits there too. So we're often talking. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18 and verse 17, it says, In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right. The first to speak seems right. Isn't this interesting? Because it applies to our country today. The first one to get a story out there is always the one people believe. Well, it must be true, because it was out there first. And then when you come back with your version of what actually happened, nobody wants to believe it because they think you're just being vindictive and unforgiving and hateful. But let me remind you of this. There are two sides to every story. It takes two to tango. Yes, it does. When people come to me and say, oh, my husband is just a terrible jerk, blah, blah, blah. Or my wife, she just doesn't care about me and she just doesn't do this. I always think to myself, I'd like to talk to the other person because I'm sure that there's another side. This verse goes on to say this, though. Until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Hmm. How interesting. There is another side of the story. And let the story run its course and the truth will prove itself out. Sometimes it may take years. Our president is up against this all the time. All kinds of malicious, vicious, vicious storytelling. But he had sex with this woman, Stormy, and all these other people. And I think to myself, maybe he did. Is anyone allowed to change? You following me? And by the way, let's ask all of you who are accusing him of this terrible, terrible stuff. Did you promote it? Did she seduce him? Does she have any part in it whatsoever? Do you have any part of the evil that's come upon this person through something you did or didn't do or shouldn't have done? All these women that come complaining about their husband, my husband this, my husband that, all these men that are complaining about their wife, my, my wife this, my wife that, I think to myself, you just need to shut up and realize you're not, oh yeah, mm-hmm, we'd be zapped. But for the grace of God, it's rampant, malicious intent. Schadenfreude. I'm not German, but I practiced saying that word. It's a big word. I was saying Schadenfreude in the kitchen because I had to actually plug it into my computer and see how you're supposed to pronounce it. And my wife said, what are you saying in there? I'm not cussing, honey. I promise you. Schadenfreude. They even put a little thing on the end of it. It means a malicious enjoyment of the mishaps or misfortunes of others. You're looking out the window. His lawnmower broke down. <laughs> he deserves it, driving a brand new John Deere when I'm push mowing my lawn. 
He deserves that. They're so materialistic. I wouldn't even take one if you gave it to me. Yeah, right. A brand new John Deere riding more and you're going to continue to push? Are you stupid? People through the years have always said, Pastor, if I won the lottery, like $100 million, would you mind if I gave any of it to the church? And I'm like, no. <laughs> You're not supposed to gamble. If somebody did it, that's their issue. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They stopped at the gas station. They bought a lottery ticket, and they won. Do you know that they played the lottery in the New Testament? They played the lottery over Jesus' garments. Now a ton of people are going to leave here today and say, Pastor said it's okay to gamble. I know that's what he was saying. If you read between the lines, he's a gambler. No, I'm not. Because I know it's addictive and I don't want to get caught up in that. You'll spend your whole paycheck. You spend everybody else's paycheck too and you won't even have a house to come home to one day. But it's the malicious enjoyment of the misfortunes of others. You know, it's like I went to my son's track meet the other day, and it was junior high, and we were playing, Granville was playing um, Rockford. Rockford school is huge. Josiah was doing the shot put, and I thought, he did pretty decent. And then these giants... I'm telling you, I don't know what the Bible's talking about, giants. These giants just walk over there and mm, mm, bam. It's like twice as far and I'm going, it must be senior high because this is not right. Somebody's cheating here. They're a foot taller. I was actually thinking as people were running around the track, boy, what if someone fell? You know how that goes? Oh, and by the way, kudos to Zach Zemba, who ran the mile in 5.10. He was way out in front of all the Rockford kids. So it, it's a genetic thing. Let me just say this kindly. He did not get it from Brian. Mandy is an amazing runner. So Brian's very happy she's a runner, and that passed down to Zach. My son was in the track meet. I wasn't jealous. I, w I asked him last night because he was hanging out with Josiah and Johnny, and I said, you did amazing running that mile. I said, could you hear me screaming at you from the bleachers? And he said, no. Because <laughs> you know what? If you're in the lead and you're running like he was running, and everybody's way behind you, and you don't even know how far they are behind you, all your mind is on is keep running. Don't pay attention to anything around you. That's a good lesson for all of us to learn. Mm -hmm. It is. Because otherwise, you're going to get bitter about things in life. You're going to think that you got the raw end of the deal. And what bitterness does, bitterness leads that unforgiving spirit leads to murder down here. Yes, it does. It leads to murder. I was able to even tell the people in the funeral, let it go. 
let this thing go. Don't hate your sister for this. Let it go or it'll kill you. It's not about who gets what. It's not about what brother and what sister and all, all these things and that she got married and, and, and they got married last night and you're still not married. Let it go. Let God be in charge. God has un uncanny ways of answering prayer if we will wait on him. But we take great joy in, in seeing someone else stumble or fall or fail the test or trip or something else. And we actually sit back and laugh at it because we think, well, they deserve that. We secretly rejoice. The Bible says that true love cannot delight in evil. I happen to think, I really love the Zembas. I'm happy for Zach. I hope he goes on to be in the Olympics. Let's speak it into each other. That doesn't mean I don't love my son. I love my son too. Maybe he will. And he doesn't have to for me to love him. Love does not rejoice in somebody else's failure. It delights in the truth. It is so sadistic to enjoy the pain of another. If you say to your children or your spouse, you deserve what you're getting right now, that's not going to win anyone over. No, it isn't. No, 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 no. But when you genuinely care, and it is easy, by the way, to care for the person who's connected to us. Mm -hmm. By the way, I, I, would, I would throw this into the whole equation here. What mom and dad are is oftentimes what you become. If you have a dad who just sits around, you better watch that it doesn't turn to you. If you have a mother who's critical, you better be certain that you don't pick it up. When you find yourself becoming critical, then you shut your mouth and you say, God, I'm giving this to you. Instead of criticizing, I'm going to speak love into them. I'm going to speak something love into them. I'm going to change their destiny by speaking into them in a good way. When you really love somebody, come on, ladies and gentlemen, this is what destroys churches. When you really love someone, you will not rejoice in evil. You will not point fingers because they stumbled. You will not go to them and say, when he repents, then I'll love him. That's not how it works. Love leads to repentance. It isn't repentance leading to love. It's love leading to repentance because we did not love Jesus. He loved us first and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I didn't make that up. The scripture says that. Love recognizes that there, but the, for the grace of God. There go I. John Donne was an English poet and a cleric who wrote these words. Any man, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. So on the very same day that Steve Swindle's mom was dying, which I believe was Thursday, Tuesday, okay? It was the busiest week I think I've had in my life. So the very same day, Steve said, my mom's dying. Can you meet me up uh, at the nursing home, which is on the other side of town? And I said, yes, I will. I'll have staff meeting. I'll jump in my car and meet you. So he was kind of updating me. My mom's heavy breathing now and blah, blah, blah. And my phone connects to this little screen in my car. And so his messages were coming across. And it said, she's breathing really heavy right now. And I was driving fast through downtown Grand Rapids. And the next thing I know, before I got off of Fuller, it said, she's gone.
just like that, a breath, in a breath. She was there in the room. She was cognizant of what was going on. She was there alive, and then she was gone. And so I got to the nursing home, and um, a few of the sisters were there, and Steve was sitting in a chair in the hallway there crying, weeping. And I went over, and I thought, it's a terrible thing to lose somebody you love. Terrible. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Comfort those. You comfort one another. I, I thought back to a couple years ago when Steve cared about his mom enough to be inviting her to our church services when he could go get her. And he brought her to the theater and asked me afterwards if I would talk to her and just, you know, see how she's doing. And we had met her before at special get-togethers at, at the Swindles house. And so I went over to her seat in the theater and talked to her, ended up leading her to Christ. She knew she was going to heaven when she died. She wanted to make sure. While I went there, my wife went to Gail's brother, who his wife is also dying. And we prayed for each other and went there and both her husband and her, while Gail was there, right, Gail? Both accepted Christ at the hospital. It's a good thing it's never too late, isn't it? It's never too late for someone. And when you care about them, you want them to be in the kingdom with you. Matthew 5 says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, you can't just love the people who love you. You have to love your enemies. You have to love the people who don't love you, who don't care about you. you got to cheerlead for other people who aren't even in your corner. There's a very important story told in the Bible that makes this point. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 6. He stole the hearts of men of Israel. I asked my wife if, last night if she remembered how Absalom died. King David's son, Absalom, died. You know how he died? The story is, is, is told in the book of 2 Samuel, and I think it's very powerful and something to think about. He began to be jealous of his father, began to be jealous, and thought that he should be more important in that group of people that David was king over. And so he actually took a part of the country and separated it from the rest of the country and said, I am the king of Hebron. Well, David just couldn't allow this, even though it was his own son. He saw the rebellion and the jealousy and the I want to get there faster than I am getting there mentality. Now, let me just say this to everybody. If you don't think that you've arrived where you think you should be yet, jealousy and turning on other people is not going to get you there faster. It's not going to gain you anything that you really want. Stay focused on God's timing. And I said this to my staff this week. If you haven't come into your time yet, your time or your place yet, wait on God. 
It takes years. David was only 17 when God called him out of the brothers, and he was the measly nobody back in the pasture. God called him to be the king, but he didn't become the king until he was 30 years old. He had to wait 13 years. Most of us have not waited 13 years. We can't even wait 13 minutes. I picked up this book because my wife and I are going on a week vacation. We're leaving Tuesday. I picked up this book from Jensen Franklin because he's one of my favorite preachers. Love like you've never been hurt. My daughter, Lexi, graduated from Grand Valley State University. Yay. zippity doo And Kelsey, I don't, I forget her last name. What, Kleinberger, Bersheinberger or something like that? Okay. Kelsey, you know, she's been in our adult internship. She graduated with her master's. Well, if you've ever gone to a graduation at Grand Valley, bring a book. 4,500 students, they have to hold it in three different times at the Van Andel, and it fills three times. Three times. The whole Van Andel Arena was full. Every seat was taken. And I was like, yippee, God, she made it. The total bills haven't come yet. (laughs) Yippee, God, help us make it. I'm not sure, but I'd make a bet that we will. And she's pregnant. Perfect timing. Now she can get really big after graduation. You know what I saw? I saw student after student after student after student after student come across the stage. There were so many that by the time they announced their name, 10 other people were lined up, you know, and they, they come on the camera and they're all making signs and stuff, you know. Everybody's rejoicing for their own. Hmm. What about cheering for someone who's not your own? Huh? What about that? What about you think you know everything about everybody and you think you know what I'm going through and you think you know what the people in your row are going through, but you don't. He says that you should love like you've never been hurt because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. What I loved about it, I read the first two chapters while I was there and I got this right off the bat. He had such marital problems in the ministry with his wife, Sharice, that he would go to church on Sunday in tears and preach to thousands of people and wonder how he could even do it. A daughter had rebelled and gone her own way. They didn't know how they were going to see her come back to God. I am telling you, people, listen to me. Don't rejoice when they don't do evil and don't make false threats to them like, if he doesn't do this, I'm leaving him. If she doesn't do this, I'm going to leave her. And if my kids don't change, I'm going to put them in jail. Well, that always wins, doesn't it? Do not rejoice in evil. It doesn't mean that you just hate sin. That's all the Baptists out there that I grew up with. Hate sin. Sin is evil. Bible thumping. Bible bangers. God's going to discipline them if he doesn't stop this. And I'm thinking, that wins. You and I both know this is true. The only thing that actually works is love. Love does not rejoice in evil. So David was very, very upset that his 
sun had come against him. And listen to what it says. It says, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed. David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went. Weeping as they went. They were weeping as they went because there are always consequences for sin. They don't always come right away. Sometimes they come days later and years later. And weeping as they went, you, you, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You reap it. You reap it. You're reaping it now in the room. I am not rejoicing in your evil. I am making a point. David sowed sin, lust, disobedience, and he got what he sowed out of his son. When you sow disobedience and disrespect and gossip and bitterness and slander and an evil spirit and don't rejoice and you become lazy and you think everything's okay, you are headed down the same path of your father. Sin is generational. Please take a moment right now to think about your parents and what they're like and what things, what sins should not be repeated in you. You know why David was weeping? I'm positive. It wasn't because he was mad at his son. It was because he was sad. About his son. You think so? Anybody? Anybody? Until everybody says, yes, I'm not going to move on. You think so? Yes. Oh, okay, unless you're some kind of a sadistic parent who goes, <laughs> I already know what's going to happen to Absalom. His hair is so long, you should have cut it years ago. Everybody knows that Baptists don't wear their hair long. It is a shame for a man to have long hair. Oh, my gosh, last night I was flipping channels because I was brain dead. I came upon American Idol, which is so weird now. And one of the top ten that was voted in was this mammoth guy that's a transvestite. And he was all dressed, and he had all the, and everybody, all the Baptists in the room go, oh, God. Oh. You know why they're making him win? There's no question in my mind. Because <laughs> the devil's sitting back saying, ha, 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 all you fanatics out there, I'm just going to make you hate more. Following me? I'll make you hate more because you're supposed to stand up for what's right. Has that ever won so far that you use your position biblically to scourge other people? It does not work. It hasn't worked. But there are people sitting in the room that still go on handling situations like that. It is not your job to preach. It's mine. It is. This is what I believe. Hate never, hate never wins. The reason why that guy was dressed up like a woman and had all that makeup on and stuff is not because he felt good about himself. Don't even believe that stuff. The devil is a thief. He stole his identity. We hear all kinds of things about stolen identity. He stole his identity and told him that he should be a woman instead of a man that he was made to be, at least I think so. And some of you are going, I'm really cringing right now because I think we should burn all of them. 
Well, that works, doesn't it? I know this is what the text means. It does not rejoice in somebody else who's messed up. It says, let me help you get out of the woods. Mm -hmm. It says, hey, take my hand and I'll be with you along the path. That actually wins. In my college years, I rebelled against God because I ran out of money. My parents did not keep their promise and pay for my schooling. So I worked 50 hours a week. I was in my fourth year as senior. I'd already been a student body officer. I traveled for the school and everything else, but I ran out of money and I was forced to go home. And my mom and dad kicked me out of the house because I used my mom's laundry soap to wash my clothes. I'm not being melodramatic. It was God saying to me, you're going to have to prove that you love me no matter what. I went and lived in an apartment where the woman, the pros, a prostitute lived in there right before I moved in there. And I cried all the time. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, there are people, even if I say this only for one person in this room, there is one person in this room who is still struggling with who they are. And you just can't get through it. You can't figure out who you are. Who am I? And the rest of the world is laughing and mocking and tripping you in the hallway and making fun of you because you're too skinny, you're too fat, you're not athletic, you're not a cheerleader, you're too stupid, you're too this, you're too that, you're this nationality, you're that nationality. And God's saying, I love them all, I made them all. I love them all, I love them all, I love them all. I love them all. Let me just say this. Would you be that graceless to your daughter if you found out she was a transvestite? Transgender? Or would you just kick her out? See, people, it's one thing to be mean to other people. It's a whole other thing to be mean to your own. And guess what? Absalom had turned the life of a lot of people around against his father, David. And David probably had legitimate right to be upset with him. But God said he didn't. He did not have the right. And so what did David say to the commanders of his army, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai? They actually persuaded David to stay back because they had anger inside and didn't want him there when they took care of Absalom. And this is the last words. These are the last words of David before they went to deal with Absalom. David said, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Now, guys, guys, ladies, what kind of parent wishes bad on their own son or daughter? What kind of parent calls them out and calls them names and, and, and makes something negative out of who they are? It is our job to love our children, but it's our job to love everyone. And that is not always easy. Are you following me? Yeah. David said, be gentle on him. And Joab defied his master by killing Absalom instead of capturing him alive. When David heard of it, the scripture says he was actually overcome with sorrow. Listen, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Oh, Absalom, 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 Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, my son, Absalom. Have you ever had a child that has to go into surgery and they, you have to see, watch them put under or your child goes through something serious and, and you're the parent and you understand what I'm saying when I say this, I'd far rather do it myself than have my child have to go through it. Yes or no? Yeah. Far rather. 
That's the kind of love that God is talking about. Do not rejoice in evil. I want to say this to everyone in this room this morning. You are safe here. As long as I'm the pastor, there's no sin that you can commit that is going to make you, us bring you forward and say, you have a scarlet letter now because you did this. No, you're safe. God wants to reveal his love to you because love's the only thing that's going to make you change. It is. It's the only thing. Love does win. He came face to face, David did, with his own culpability and the cost in human lives that had resulted, and now it was his own son. His sin had brought him to a point of taking the one that he loves. I got to say this quickly. Through the years I've watched this, when you continue in your sin, be assured of this. When you continue in your sin, even though there's no conscious awareness of God doing something to discipline you, it will show up in your children. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, but they're little yet. They don't know that I'm doing this, and, and my, my thinking won't pass to my kids, and my materialism won't pass to my kids. My greed won't pass to my kids. My lust won't pass to my kids. Yes, it will. So I looked up this week and thought, I need to take a moment to talk about this because some of you can't even sing in this room because you know you are involved in sin. Now, God still loves you, but he wants me to tell you, stop it. It'll show up in your kids. Does our sin pass to our daughters and our sons? That's the question of the morning. I've come to two conclusions here in this matter. Number one, the sins of the father are punished in the children through becoming the sins of the children. You notice the same trends taking place now in your children. You notice the same trends in your life that were in your parents. Your dad was lazy, sat in front of the couch, argued with your mom, didn't care what she said, went brain dead on her, and blah, 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 lusted all the time when he had all this free time, and now you see it in yourself. You didn't care who your daughters married. It didn't seem a big matter to you because you were gone all the time. You were busy. Busy. Too busy to care about who she brought home to the door to see if that was somebody that you would actually approve of or not. And so you just let it go. But now you're seeing sins in their lives years later. And I guarantee you this is what happens to us. We have to take a step back in such disappointment that we didn't live for God years ago. David was weeping, not so much for Absalom, for David wishing he had died. I, the Lord, visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The generations to come who experience the penalty of the father's sins are those who hate God. There is a way out. Okay, please stay with me. Have I lost you already? Jalala land, somebody's thinking pot roast. Somebody's thinking pot, somebody's thinking roast. Somebody's thinking pot roast. Yes. The, you, have, you have no idea what's in the room. You got no idea. Every time I hear that, I think of no ideal. We stopped at Waffle House on our way to Florida years ago. My wife and I in the middle of the night, Waffle House is the only thing that's open for miles. There's a big sign. Waffle House. You see those? 
They actually have good waffles. When we were finished eating, we went with another family. I said, do you know how we get back on Interstate I-75? And the waitress goes, I got no idea. No idea. <laughs> I remembered that forever. I like that. I got no idea. I got no idea what's going on out there for the wedding last night. <laughs> I brought a trucker's hat because Royce is a trucker. Just before I pronounced the man and wife, I put my trucker's hat on. Found an amazing poem about the trucker's wife. How she's going to be home alone all of her life. <laughs> How she's going to have to fight against all the strife. That's a trucker's wife. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with my message, but <laughs> sounds good anyway. So, so here's the consolation in the matter. If you think that you've blown it personally, God is such a gracious and loving and forgiving God that he says to us, it's still not too late for this scenario to be changed. Pray that your children will be in a place well, they'll know that sin is not something to delight in. Keep your kids in a place where they'll not inherit your sin. It's a good place here. This is a good place. This children's ministry and this, this uh, high school ministry and college ministry. Number two, I think this. Number one was the sins of the father are punished in the children through becoming the sins of the children. Number two is because of God's grace, which is finally secured by Christ, the children can confess their own sins and the sins of their fathers and be forgiven and accepted by God. Translation. Keep your kids where they'll grow spiritually. Put them in a church that's on fire for God, where they don't have to be messing around all the time, and teach them that God is a very loving and forgiving God and it's not a bad thing to grow up and love Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you got that? And so your children on their own will come to this conclusion. That is done. I will not be involved in immorality like my parents. That thing is done. I will not become an alcoholic. I'm done. Under the blood. I will not pass that to my children. I will not be this critical woman. I remember hearing this story years ago about this woman, Gladys Travitz, who, who, you know, unbewitched. Remember that lady that always used to be watching the neighbors? I call her Mrs. Hockensbach. I haven't used her for years. Mrs. Hockensbach was always looking through the curtain because she just wasn't happy in life, period. And she just was, she was watching and noticed down the street that Mr. Jones, there was a brand new car parked out in front of his house. Oh, my goodness, what is going on? I see that car there every single day. And then one night, the car was left there all night long. <gasps> this is scandalous. I'm not telling anyone until she got out. Did you, do you know what I saw? I saw this car parked out in front of Mr. Jones's house. It's, you know what's going on in there. It's just obvious. That car's never been there before. It was there the whole night. And it got all the way back to Mr. Jones. So that night, he parked his car in front of her house. <laughs> he got a new car. 
And she just thought the worst. You know how easy it is to think the worst about something? To be positive that this is negative? Yeah. Our, our brains immediately do that. It's called reductionism. It's to tear down these people so that we look better than them. And the fact of the matter is, by the grace of God, we'd all be right there. We would. David wept for his son. Absalom died this way. A weird way to die. He was riding his donkey in the attack, and his hair got caught in the branches of the tree. Now, if you're a Baptist theologian, the conclusion you're going to come to is this. His hair was too long. (laughs) That's the oddest thing, isn't it? His hair is too long. Certainly he's a rebel. If you're anyone else, you might think this. His hair got caught because God is a very loving God and wanted to put a stop to it all and make all of us have a story to look back at. And his donkey ran out from under him, and David grieved. I think the story is far more about David than Absalom. I believe that the story says this. Be careful what you sow. Be careful what you sow, but also be sensitive to what will happen as a product, as as a result of that, and surrender that to God. Do the best with what comes out of what you've sown because things are going to happen. Yes, and be merciful to others along the way Because your day may come when you'll need mercy yourself. You understand that? See, the sins of the Father are only passed to children who don't walk with God. Have your children walk with God. You walk with God. Men that don't come to Bible study, your kids are never going to want to go to Bible study. Ladies that don't want to be interested in spiritual things, your kids won't be interested in spiritual things. And I could give you example after example. And I'll just take you, Gail. She has a husband that's lost. But she's a changed woman. And she cared enough about her sister, who is dying, to ask my wife to go to the hospital. When you ask Becky to go to the hospital, everybody's going to be healed. (laughs) The whole place is going to be healed. She's going to raise the dead. And Becky wasn't about to leave there without her sister and her husband. And guess what I think? I think because she was loving and not judgmental and because she's walked with God, it is passing to her family. God makes up for the years that have been stolen and eaten by the locusts. Don't ever think you're too far gone. Don't get caught up in your misery and beating yourself up for the past. Deal with what comes your way and, and, and uh, they that sow in tears will reap in joy. Let's pray. The praise band's coming. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the word that God has for you. We pray that you go out into the world now and you live differently, you act differently, and you love differently.